0: Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at Uh A few weeks ago, we started a new series on the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's story is really incredible. And We won't rehash what we've been up to to this point. Um, but Nehemiah felt God speaking to him. To go to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and that's a big thing okay um, because he, he some some scholars say he may have never even been to Jerusalem before. That was where his people were from, but he was in exile. The, the, the nation of Judah and Israel, they were scattered. And so he felt God speak to him. He responded and was obedient to what God was calling him to do, but it was a really difficult thing. It was not easy. And so he, he traveled back to Jerusalem, and he began the process. Uh, and as we talked about last week, there was opposition to him Um, rebuilding the city. There was opposition to him seeing God work there. And we talked about that some last week, but I wanna continue with that thought just a little bit today. So we'll start in, in Nehemiah chapter four. And in verse one, this is what it says. Now, when Sanballat, he was, he, just so you know, if this is a story, he's the villain. So Sanballat heard that, they were, or that we were rebuilding the wall, and he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? And burned ones at that he's saying that they're attempting to do an impossible task and these fools think they can do it and there was opposition because he was selfishly motivated because if the jews rebuilt jerusalem it threatened his authority and his power There are people in your lives that they don't want you to rebuild the ruins. They don't want you to put your broken pieces back together. And so they're going to oppose you when you say things like, you know what, I'm getting my life right. Or, hey, I made a decision for Jesus. Or, hey, you know what, I'm going to start serving in that church. People are going to say, you know, why would you do that? Look at your background. Look at your history. (laughs) You're too broken. You're too much of a mess. You've sinned too much. You've gone too far. And that's what Sanballat was saying. And he was saying it in, in his own company, but those things got back to the people of Israel. He was saying, they can't do it. They're trying to rebuild walls that are in heaps, and they're, they're a mess. They can't even use the, the stones to rebuild because the stones are such a mess. And he, and he said things like, will they restore it for themselves? Will they, will they do it in a day? Because he was implying if they didn't do it quickly, they weren't committed enough to actually see it through. And some of you that are new to church and new to your relationship with Christ, you had people when you said, yeah, I'm I'm going to church now, I made a change. They went, okay, we'll see. Right, what are they saying? You're not committed to that. We'll see if you're still going to church a month from now or two months from now. Okay, yeah, we'll see if this thing sticks because I know you. This is what Sanballat was saying. He said, you know what, these people, they're not committed to this change. They say they wanna do it, but they're not gonna do it. Are they going to do it in a day? Because they're not committed to to rebuilding this wall. They're not going to do the work. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps? So he's bringing this, this criticism, and it's not even fair criticism, because I'm an advocate of criticism. If it's fair, hey, let's hear it. Let's get better. But this isn't, right? He's just laying it on. And I love what the Israelites did. They didn't stop. They didn't go, you know what? This guy's probably right. We just need to shut this down. We need to stop. They kept building the walls. They kept doing what God had told them to do. And after Sanballat heard it in in verse 8 of chapter 4, it says, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. And this is what Nehemiah says. And he said, we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So when they, they knew that the enemy was coming, they didn't shrink back in fear. They said, you know what? Let's pray, which is always a good response. Uh, And then they said, and let's prepare ourselves for the fight. Let's get ready to do what we might have to do. And sometimes when opposition comes our way, we are good at doing one of two things, but a lot of times we don't do both. A lot of times we will pray a prayer and say, God, fix my situation, right? Um, Take care of this. I'm desperate. I got bad news. I got a bad report. I might be laid off. So God, fix this. Help me. My marriage is a mess. Fix it. Make my wife start acting nicer, right? Fix her, because I don't have any problems, God, so fix my spouse. So we will pray a prayer, and then we go, okay, God, it's in your hands. You better fix this. And we fail to take action and prepare ourselves and do what we need to do for God to work in our lives. So we ask God to work, but then we don't position ourselves for God to work through us. But Nehemiah said, hey, let's pray, and then let's get ready to fight. And some of us, we don't even pray. We just go, hey, I'm going to fix this situation. Okay, what's happening? We're short on our finances? Let's take, out a, let's take out a credit card application. The credit card will fix our problems. Well, no, you, that's just delaying problems. It's going to be problems still, right? Um, hey, let's just do this. I can fix it if I do this and this, and I can get a, a third job, and I can also deliver pizzas at night, and I can do this. And we need to do those things. We need to do whatever we need to do to, to see God work. But sometimes we do that stuff, and we fail to pray. I would love to tell you that I've prayed about every situation in my life. But I I took a job at a church, man of God and faith, right? And I took a job at a church, and I thought it was perfect. But do you know what? I didn't even pray about it. I was like, it must be perfect. Look, it's God. It's this situation. It's close to my hometown. It's all these things. And I went, and it 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 was the worst season of my life. I had panic attacks, and I don't freak out. Like, I don't get worried about stuff. But I was having panic attacks. My wife would walk into the kitchen before I would leave for the church, and I would be doubled over the sink sobbing. Like, shocker that I was crying, right? And, you know, so I'd be doubled over the sink, like, sobbing, like, uncontrollably because I was in such Such conflict, because I knew I wasn't where I was supposed to be, and it was this pride of, I can't leave now because I came, and I'm a man of God, and all these kind of things. I didn't even pray about it. So sometimes we respond, and we go, hey, I can fix this, I can do this, but we don't pray. And Nehemiah had the right response. He said, okay, first let's pray, and then let's position ourselves to do what we need to do. So he prepared himself. They were ready for the fight if the fight was going to come. If you look on down in verse 14, he, he is, uh, Nehemiah is talking to his nobles and to the leaders in verse 14. It says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. See, Nehemiah is trying to remind the people of their why. Hey, guys, we're building the city, and and it's really important, but it's not just about putting stones back together and building walls and, and rebuilding gates. It's not what it's about. At the end of the day, we're rebuilding the city, but it's really about your sons and your daughters and your spouses and your grandchildren and your neighbors. It's about people. He's bringing them back to their why. He's reminding them why they do the work they do. He's saying, hey, we are committed to people that's why we're rebuilding the city that's why we're rebuilding these walls See, in week one, a couple weeks ago, we talked about being committed to prayer. Nehemiah was committed to prayer. He said, God, you've got to take this situation. Last week we saw that Nehemiah was committed in the face of opposition because opposition came his way. And he said, I I don't care. We're going to see that and review that a little more today. But here he's reminding the people, hey, we're committed to the people around us, and that's why we're doing this hard work. That's why we're facing opposition. That's why we're fighting fights is because The people around us are important. So yes, it's hard. Would it have been easier to live in the rubble? Absolutely. It would have been easier to stay in our old life and not make any changes. But that's not what God's called us to do. So he said, we fight the fight, we work hard. And the reason we do that is for the people around us. We press on, we push through the difficulty. I think one of the reasons as Christians, sometimes we stay weak is because we don't like resistance. And if you know anything about strength building and training, strength comes through resistance. If there's no resistance, there's no strength being built. So the reason a lot of us stay weak in our faith is because when resistance comes, we shrink back and go, okay, this must not be God because this is hard. Uh, th- this can't be God's will for me because it- it's difficult. And we stay weak in our faith, but God says, no, press through. Be committed to what I've called you to do and press through the difficulty, press through the opposition. They were committed to people. You know what? We are committed to people here. We love people. Um, That's why our vision statement is every life made different. I I wanna see every person who comes to this place, whether they are the tiniest baby or the oldest grandparent in our church, no matter who they are, no matter what background they've come from, no matter what race they are, I wanna see their life made different for the glory of God. The vision for this place is people, because people matter and people are important. Your neighbors, your sons, your daughters, the people around you are important. And when we remember our why, it makes the difficulty easier to walk through. After that, after he shared with the nobles, he inspired them. He said, hey, God's going to fight the fight. Don't worry. This is why we do it. In verse 15, he went on and said, when our enemies heard that it, was no, uh, that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, listen to this, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Because he said, you know what? After the enemy, the enemy didn't bring their fight because they found out we were ready for them. And do you know what they did? They didn't throw a party, they didn't celebrate, they didn't high five. It wasn't like the climactic ending of a movie where they're jumping up and down, they're all hugging each other in slow motion and it's like the end. Like that's not what happened because they weren't done with the work. So what does it say? They went back to the work. They went back to the wall. We all returned to the wall, each to his work. They each found their place and said, okay, I'm gonna serve faithfully in the area that God has placed me. I'm gonna work really hard until this work is completed, until we're done doing what God has asked us to do. Nehemiah chapter 5. I'll skip ahead. You're going to get Nehemiah 4, 5, and 6 today, and we're going to give you the annotated version of it. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 5, there were some things going on within a city. So we see opposition from outside, right? Opposition from outside the city has come in. The people didn't like it. And so they were opposed to this plan of renewal for the city. But then we see opposition from inside the city to some degree it's indirect opposition in Nehemiah chapter 5 um, there was this outcry in the city there was this drama happening and I don't know about you but I hate drama is there anybody here that likes drama in our church you're like I love drama when people are fighting it's great I'm like okay thank you because we we're gonna have the ushers come and find you right then and take you away um like, the show's like Real Housewives of whatever. Like, I don't even know why people watch that. And if you're here and you're like, I like me some Real Housewives, I'm sorry. All it is is drama. It's like, how can we get these women to fight and pull each other's weaves out? Like, that's what we're trying to do. And I hate those shows. Ugh. If reality TV was really reality, it would be just like a scene of like me and my family sitting on a couch for an hour watching television. That's reality TV, Right. But nobody watches it, they wanna see drama. But I hate drama. But we see Nehemiah was neck deep in drama. Now there arose, and this is Nehemiah chapter five, verse one. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives. Now you know, when the wives are getting involved, it's gonna be serious. Against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. And there were those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's taxes on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it for other men have our fields and our vineyards. So let me just break this down. What they were saying is there's been a famine in our land, and we're all poor, okay? Does that resonate with anybody? They're like, okay, yeah, living paycheck to paycheck and those kind of things. You, you, you think debt is a current thing. It is an ancient thing. And these people were in debt. And what was happening is uh, some of the nobles were lending money to some of the people who were struggling. And they were, they were ca- charging them an outrageous number uh, on interest. And so they were basically taking what they had and and. One of the things, and some of you might think this is a good idea, but don't tell me if you do. One of the things you could do is if you're in deep debt, you could give your children to the person you owed money to to help pay off the debt. And some of you are like, I've got a kid I'd be willing to do that with, right? Um, We don't need to hear about it, okay? Just pray that through. Um, So you could do this. And so what they were saying is, hey, I'm supposed to own a vineyard and I'm supposed to own a house, but I really don't because the lender owns it. Because they have my stuff. My, I don't even have my kids because they have my kids. And and now we're supposed to take, pay taxes, and now we're supposed to do it, and we can't do it. And so there's this outcry in the city saying, help. Have you ever felt that way? Like, um, You're like, yes, I have a mortgage, but I don't really own a home. The bank owns a house that I get to keep my stuff in, right? Like, and the people of Jerusalem are saying, we don't have anything. Like, we can't even live. And now we're, they're trying to decide, okay, we've got this harvest, this meager harvest coming in. But do we, do we um, eat it? Do we consume what we've produced? Or do we save it for the harvest? Because if, if we consume it, there will be nothing else for the harvest. So they're, they're struggling with this. And those tensions are real. There are people in this room that struggle with that. How are we going to pay our bills? What are we going to do? How are we going to live? And those are real tensions that we deal with. And these people are saying that, and they finally go to Nehemiah, and they go, what do we do? How do we fix this? Nehemiah goes, wait, 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 the system is broken. So he gives gives relief to the people and, and asks their oppressors, if you can say it like that. And he says, hey... But give them a break. They're your brothers and sisters. So they went back and they undid that. They they repaid what they had taken. They they give, sent the kids home. And some of you are like, I don't. Again, I don't know if I want my kids sent home. They sent the kids home. They restored things and they restored a relationship within Israel. But. That must have been a terribly trying season for Nehemiah to lead the people through that. That must have been a terribly trying season for the people as they're navigating that. Because as they're going through that, they don't know what the end is going to look like, right? If you're neck deep in trouble today, you want to believe that God is good and that God's going to help you, but you don't know that, so you're struggling, right? And this is where the people of Israel were. They're saying, God, we know you're good, but we're try, trying to figure out if you're going to do this or not, if you're going to work through this or not. So when Nehemiah resolved this with the nobles, he basically said, stop it, right? Just quit what you're doing. Let's fix this. Be nice to your sister. Apologize. Give each other a hug. Okay, good, right? He, he's having this conversation, but listen to what he said. He, he In verse 13, he makes this statement. He says, I also shook out the fold of my garment. So uh, have you ever been riding in your car and maybe you're you're late for an appointment or a meeting you haven't eaten and you're like okay I'm gonna swing through here I'm gonna get something to eat on my way. I'm gonna eat in the car because um we shouldn't do that because we're not animals, right? But but sometimes we do. And I know you don't but I do sometimes. And when I get out of the car, have you ever had that moment you get out of the car and you're like oh I regret eating Taco Bell later. Like later, I'm gonna regret it. I know I will, but right now I regret it because I just got bean burrito on my shirt, right? Because you spilled it down your shirt or you get out of the car and there's crumbs and you get out of the car and what do you do? You, you shake it, you okay, <laughs> and it's like psh, crumbs everywhere. Oh, come on, you've had that moment, right? Maybe it's the fries because you know McDonald's fries, they're addictive. I don't know what they put in them, crack cocaine, something on the fries. <laughs> I know I shouldn't eat McDonald's, but come on, people, those fries. There's like, something about them, And so I can't eat one. I have to eat like a handful, like five of them at once. Anyway, and you get them all over and you get out of the car. What do you do? You shake it off and the stuff goes everywhere. And this is, this is the picture that I want you to have. As Nehemiah is talking, he says, I also shook out the folds of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his promise. So he made the, the, the nobles promise that they wouldn't take advantage of the, the common people. And they did, and so he goes on to say, so may he be shaken out and emptied. So he said, if you don't keep your promise, I'm praying that that's what God does to you. I'm praying that God shakes you loose. I'm praying that God God releases you, that you will not be a part of this assembly. That's basically what he's saying. And listen to this. And it said, And all the assembly said amen. We've talked about this in the past, but amen isn't just like now we're done praying. That's not what it means. What it means literally is and so be it or let it be done. And so when somebody's praying and we finish and we corporately say amen, what we're saying is let this be done. And so when Nehemiah, he says this, he makes this statement, and all the people respond, amen, what they're saying is, yes, let it be done. We're in agreement with that. And they praise the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. What they were doing is they were committing together and saying, we are in this thing together. Um, It doesn't matter what your social class is. It doesn't matter how much money you've got. We are in this thing together, serving God and committed to his purposes and plans for us. But the truth is there are people in your life that are gonna be shaken loose. There are people in your life you think, they are with me, they're committed to me. I know that they're committed to God's purposes and plans for me. And somewhere along the way, there's gonna be a moment when they they get shaken loose and you're gonna be shocked. Maybe it's a betrayal. Maybe it's just a moment where that relationship ends, but it will happen. I'd love for it to say it wouldn't, but that wouldn't be true. I've seen it over and over and over Nehemiah chapter 6. See, I told you, we're blazing through this thing. Sanballat, he's like the worst villain of all time. He just will not end. As committed as Nehemiah is to seeing the wall rebuilt, that's how committed, maybe even more so, Sanballat is to undermining Nehemiah. And we don't like to talk about the devil, but the truth is we have an enemy. We have an enemy who is opposed to you. And just as committed as you are, maybe more committed than you are to doing God's plans and purposes for your life, the enemy is committed to undermining God's purposes and plans for your life. And this is the role Sanballat played in this story. It says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there were no breaches left in it, they hadn't built it up all the way, but they had built it up, Sanballat, Geshem, and Geshem sent to me, saying, "Come, let us meet together in Hekapharim in the plain of Ono." But they intended to do me harm. And I sent a message; uh, I sent messengers to them, saying, "I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? while I leave it and come down to you?" So this happened several times. It happened four times, and Nehemiah kept sending this message, saying, "No, no, no, I'm." I'm I'm doing God's work, I can't be distracted. But that's at the end of the day, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to distract him from God's work. And he recognized that and he said, I can't do it. It is so easy to get distracted from God's purposes and plans for our lives. It's so easy. Sometimes we get distracted, not by bad things, but we get distracted by good things. I tell people all the time, our hardest decisions in life aren't whether to do good things or bad things. I've never had to pray, God, should I strangle this person? Like, never, right? Well, maybe a couple of times, but not normally. I don't pray that. But we don't have to wonder, God, should I cut this person off and run them off the road today? No, probably you don't have to pray about that. But what we pray about is, God, should I meet with this person or this person? Or, God, should I do this or that? Or whatever it is, and they're usually pretty good things. And so what happens a lot of times is we get distracted by good things. We're living our life. We've committed ourselves to Christ, and then a relationship comes along. We go, well, God, it must be your will because he's really handsome, right? Right? God, this must be your plan because that, that job means more money. Well, yeah, it pulls me away from, from family and from, you know, church and from those things. But man, it means more money. So that must be a promotion. It must be your will for my life. So what happens so many times is we get distracted from God's best and we sacrifice God's best for something that's pretty good or something that's okay. So we never, ever fully fulfill God's purpose and plan for us because we get sidetracked with pretty good that's not what God wants for you. God's got something bigger than that. And Nehemiah recognized, hey, I can get sidetracked here or I can stay on purpose and do what God's called me to do. And he kept working. And finally, Sanballat, He had had enough, and he sent an open letter to Nehemiah. Now, in these times, they didn't send open letters. They were sealed. Um, Again, how would you like if your mailman showed up to your house, and he was like, hey, Mrs. Johnson, I got your mail here. Hey, it looks like your sister's doing better and out of the hospital. Also, oh, you're one of the finals for Publishers Clearinghouse. Good luck with that. I hope it does well. I filled in your information for you already. also want to let you know it looks like you're late on your rent again, and just want to put that in your hand. And you probably want to punch your postman, right? You'd be like, what are, you, what are you doing? Opening my mail. But what if you wanted them to read your mail? So what Sanballat did is he, he said, I'm sending this open letter. I hope nobody reads it, right? So what did they do? Everybody read it. The guy, oh my gosh, can you believe this? And he would tell his buddies. And before he knew it, everyone knew. Sanballat's purpose was to cause strife in the nation of Israel. So this is what it says in verse 6. In it was written, this is what Sanballat said, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it. Don't you love that when somebody comes to you and goes, you know, everybody's been saying, and, and especially Gina, she told me, and Gina, you know, she knows. I'm like, Come on now. Gina's an authority. And so that's basically what he's saying. It has been reported among the nations. Everybody's saying, and especially Geshem, we know how reliable he is, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, And that is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. He's talking about King Artaxerxes of Persia. He's saying the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us counsel together. So he's acting like this is for his best. like, hey, I'm concerned for you, buddy. I've heard these reports. And everybody's saying, and here's, here's what the people are saying. And I'm concerned about you. And Nehemiah said, "No, I don't think so. Um, no, I'm not going to be distracted. No, I'm not going to be distracted by lies." And he responds back, and he calls him a liar. He said, "You're making this stuff up." So no, I'm not even going to waste my time on you. And then a little bit later, he he gets this gets gets this request for a meeting. And the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about this specific man. And let me just give you the nutshell version of it. There was a man who said, hey, let's meet together and talk. I've heard these things. The the enemy's coming to kill you, so let's go to the temple, and we're going to be okay, and we can talk about this there. So there's indications that this guy might have even been a Levite or a priest, uh, someone in spiritual authority, and he's asking Nehemiah to come and meet with him. And Nehemiah has this discernment. He recognizes the fact that this guy is not being led by God like he was asserting, but actually this guy had been paid by Sanballat to lure him to a place. And so he recognizes it, and he said, no, 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 no. You know what? You might be somebody in spiritual authority, but you're being used to the enemy. Wouldn't you love to believe that everybody whoever says they're a pastor or a priest or a leader or a bishop has your best intentions in mind? But the truth is, opposition can come from lots of different places. So Nehemiah recognized that, and he said, no, no, I reject that. I'm not going to have any part of it. And he said, I recognize the fact that that you're being used of the enemy. And what do we see? Um, We see that at the end of the day, Sanballat was trying to use this man to stir up fear in the nation, stir up fear among the people. Fear is a great weapon. Uh, I've shared before, I've said this, there's a a German proverb that says, fear makes the wolf bigger than it is. Man, fear does an incredible thing in our life. It magnifies problems and it diminishes the size of God. When we're afraid, when we see a a bill coming due and we start thinking about how bad it's, what's going to happen and all of a sudden that is magnified and we forget how big and how powerful and how righteous our God is. When there's relationship issues in our life, we magnify that problem. The fear makes it bigger than it really is and it diminishes the size of our God and we forget how big our God is. And we think, well, I know God's handled all kinds of problems in my life, but I'm not sure he can handle this problem. What Nehemiah does is he shuts that all down. He said, no, 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 no. Hey, forget about that. God has called us to this. God is bigger than this. Keep your eyes focused on why we're doing what we're doing. They can oppose us if they want, but we're going to be committed in spite of the spirit of fear in this place. We're not going to be fearful. We're not going to live that way. We're going to be victorious. You see, Nehemiah encountered conflict. He encountered conflict from outside of his city. People that were opposed. People that were out to get him in a very real way. (laughs) They were building the wall scripture tells us they were building the wall with a tool in one hand and a sword in another so that they could defend themselves. So the work was slow at times because they knew that opposition was coming. They knew that they had a very real enemy that was going to fight against them outside of the city. And that must have been one thing to deal with. But then Nehemiah had to deal with opposition within his city. The people that were supposed to be with him, he said, you know what?" there's indirect opposition because we've got drama. Everybody's got issues in their lives and things going on. And that creates drama that can distract us and oppose God's plan for us. And they weren't, they weren't trying to shut down the building of the wall, but they just were living their lives and there were problems and issues. And then there was direct opposition. When you got somebody like a priest or, or a spiritual leader coming against you, there was direct and indirect opposition there. But I have to believe that there was opposition in Nehemiah's own heart. That Nehemiah struggled with the fact that this was God's plan for him at times. He said the right things publicly, but he had to be wondering at times God, are you really in this? And if you are, why is this so hard? Why is this such a struggle? If you're really in this, well, why do these people seem to hate me? God, I thought it was going to be easier. I thought you were going to work better through this. God, it's just so much of a struggle. The truth is, there's probably a lot of you in this room that feel that same way. You said, God, I, I'm committed to you, and I brought my family to church, and I'm, I'm trying to walk with you. But why is this so hard? man? God, I started tithing, and now it seems like it's even harder to pay my bills. God, I'm committed to you, but now there's even more problems at work. It seems like my kids are even farther from you. Whatever the problem might be, we all encounter those things, and we go, God, why is this so hard? Why is it so difficult? As I was praying this week, uh, just my personal prayer time. I didn't, I didn't share this with the group in service last night, but I felt felt like I needed to today. This is a verse that I came across in my personal prayer time this last week. It's John 16, and it's Jesus talking to his followers, and this is what he says. I've said these things to you. He's talking about the end times leading up to this. He was talking about the end times, but he says in 1633, I've said these things to you, now listen to this, that in me you may have peace. And that word peace, I've said this before, but it's shalom in the Hebrew, it means lacking nothing, without lack, wholeness, completion, full. These are all words that, that can be interpreted as peace. So that in me you may be complete, you may have wholeness, Fullness, completion. This is what he says. In the world, you will have tribulation. Don't you love that promise? I like promises better, like, your life will be perfect if you just serve me. Like, that's, I can get behind that one, right? But that's not what he said. Jesus said to his followers, In this world, you will have tribulation. And he says, But take heart, I have overcome the world. He said, You're going to encounter obstacles. You're going to encounter tribulation in this world, but, but take heart. I've I've already overcome the world. In me, you may have peace. And he says, I have overcome the world. You know, when we think of tribulation, a lot of times we think of end times, right? The Mark of the Beast. And uh, does anybody remember the old Christian films like from the 70s? The, um, oh gosh, the the Distant Thunder. And any does anybody remember those movies? They were terrifying, okay? Guys with big sideburns and bell bottoms and the end, end times. It was horrible. I think... I think I have a copy on VHS somewhere. If you have a VCR, I will loan them to you and let you watch them. Um, but a lot of times we think of tribulation like that or the, the Left Behind book series or whatever it might be. But in, in this situation, he's not talking about end times. He's just talking about difficulty in our life. And the, the word tribulation, it's closely associated or it comes from a Latin word. that's uh, tribulum, okay, now, that is a word that's still used today in many parts of the, of the, of the world. Um, a, a tribulum is a, it's a farming implement that what it is, it's a big board, heavy board. And at, at one end of the board, it's got um, razors or glass or flint, uh, something sharp. And so what they'll do, farmers will take their crop, uh, and they will lay it out on a threshing floor and they will drag this trebulum over the crop in order to thresh it. And, and what threshing is, this is a word you probably heard, but the threshing is literally separating or breaking open the crop to get to the the. The, the important part inside, it get to the, uh, the grain that's inside. So what happens is the, the tribulum is dragged over the crop and it breaks open. It cuts open the chaff, the, 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 flaky, the hard stuff on the outside of the grain in order to split it open so that the grain can come out. And sometimes I think in our lives, we feel like we are at the breaking point. We feel like there's no hope for us. We feel like, God, why have you brought me here to break me? Why have you brought me here to to experience this pain and this hurt and this trouble and this tribulation? But sometimes what we have to understand is that God is not trying to break us. He's trying to break us open that we simply have to lay ourselves down on the threshing floor of God and say, okay, God, let your let your tribulum sweep over me. And is it hard? Absolutely it's hard. But God wants to get what's in you into the world. And in order to do that, sometimes we have to be broken. Sometimes we have to be spilled out. Sometimes we have to be opened up. And the process that God allows us to go through at times is for that specific reason, is for us to be broken so that he can take what's in us and give it to the world, so he can take what's in us and spread it to the people who desperately need it. Is what God's calling us to do hard? Absolutely. Is what God is calling you to do hard? Yeah, I don't even know specifically what it is, but I can tell you it's hard. If God's calling you to do it, it's not gonna be easy, but it's worth it. Is it it gonna cost us something? Absolutely. It might cost you everything. But it's worth it. Do you think Jesus had any regrets? No, absolutely not. Am am I ready to get in line and give my life? Not necessarily, but I know if that's what God calls me to do, I'm gonna have to do it because it's gonna be worth it. See, some of you today are here and you're broken, you're struggling, and I want you to know it's gonna be used for God's glory. God's breaking you open, but he's gonna use you in incredible ways if you'll just simply trust him. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you that you never promised us an easy life. You never promised us that our life would be simple or comfortable or pleasurable, but God, you did promise us that it would be good. So God, I'm asking today that you'd minister in each of us, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're dealing with or going through, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and minister in us right now. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today. And maybe you're not following Christ. Maybe you're not in a relationship with him. Maybe you've been to church. Maybe you've grown up in a religious home, but the truth is you do not have a relationship with him, but you want to today. Maybe you're here and you're brand new to this church thing and to this God thing. Maybe a lot of this didn't even make sense today. That's okay. But today you recognize something needs to change. I'm gonna ask you in just a moment to respond. If you're interested, if you wanna make Jesus Lord of your life, I'm gonna ask you in just a moment to respond, but I wanna tell you, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you stand. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray with you where you're at, and then I'm gonna ask you to, to just respond after that, to fill out a card. And so I'm not gonna ask you to do anything crazy, but I just wanna ask you to, to be bold enough to raise your hand. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to today. I wanna make him Lord of my life. Man, I'm struggling, and I know the only answer to the struggles I'm in is him. And I wanna make him Lord of all. If that's you, would you just put your hand up real high where I can see it? Thank you. Who else says that's me? Thank you, over here on my right. Awesome, praise God. Who else says that's me? Pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today. like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to repeat a really simple prayer after me. So if you would, just repeat this prayer out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I give my life to you. Use it for your glory. I pray that I would never go back to my old life and my old habits and my old thinking. I am yours. I commit to do my best to serve you for the rest of my life. You are my king and I love you. Thank you for loving me in Jesus name, amen. Hey, let's give God a round of applause this morning. Thank you Jesus for your goodness. If you prayed that prayer, there's a prayer card in the seat back in front of you. Please fill that card out, drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave. We wanna help you take your next step in your journey with Christ. Uh, Do me another favor, bow your head one more time. If you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian, but the truth is that tribulation you were talking about, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm dealing with something, I'm struggling with something and it's hard and I need God's help and I can't do this on my own. If that's you, would you just put your hand up real high and let me pray with you? Yeah, oh Lord. This is what I'd like to do. I'm gonna pray for you, but do me a favor. As I'm praying, I want you to agree with me in prayer, but I don't want you to pray for you. I want you to pray for the people in this room. There was a whole bunch of hands that were raised. I don't want you to pray for you. I want you to pray for the people around you. Pray for the other hands that were raised in this place. Pray for someone besides you while I'm praying, and I believe God's gonna bless you. Lord, thank you so much that you are a good God. Lord, no matter what our circumstances say, no matter what the situations around us say, no matter what the drama around us says, you are good. So Lord, I pray right now that you would take away distractions, Lord, take away drama, remove issues, remove problems. God, I pray that you would align people in such a way with your plan and your purpose, that they would see blessing in their life, that they would see you work through difficult circumstances. And God, I pray that as you are breaking us open, God. I pray that what is in us will come out. The Lord, your goodness and grace that you have planted in us as, as children of the King would come out and be a revelation to us and to the world around us. So Lord, I pray your blessing right now on every hand that was raised, every person who's struggling today, who's walking through a tribulation and opposition and problems and struggles, I pray a blessing on them today because God, they are children of the most high King. The Lord, we're not paupers, Lord, we're not beggars, but, Lord, we are princes princes and princesses of the Most High God. So, God, I pray today our eyes would be open to the reality of who we are in you, and we would walk in that identity, Father. So, Lord, today I pray as we walk out of here, we walk out victorious knowing you are a good God. So have your way with each of us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.